As uh, Vinay said, my name is Ian. I work for TSCF, Tertiary Students Christian Fellowship. I'm the regional team leader. That doesn't, sounds like a fancy title. I meet with students, a lot of them are here. It's good to see you here in your holidays. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, happy Father's Day as well. No one's kind of moving out quickly to go call their dad, that's good. It's good living in New Zealand for me. My family's in Australia, so they're two hours behind. So if I forget, a bit more. So if I forget, it's kind of good. They uh, kind of think, oh, it's only kind of nine o'clock. You know, can you head at nine o'clock? We're just getting up, so that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. <laughs> and thank you to the people that uh, came over yesterday and helped plant some trees, particularly Mel. That was uh, his skill was was excellent. Uh, and oh, now we're, we're drooping. <laughs> Thanks. Let me pray as we open God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open your word. We thank you that we live in a place where we can freely meet. We pray, Lord, that we would see that as a privilege, that we would take your word seriously, that we would, we would listen to it, that we would apply it, and that we would go out glorifying you. Lord, we pray as we look at the resurrection that we would think about it deeply and see the huge implications that it has for our lives. Amen. Now, if you want to grab a Bible and open to uh, Luke 24, we're going to start looking at Luke 24. Uh, we're going to venture on through a couple of other passages. We're going to start there. If you don't have a Bible, it would be good to kind of nestle up to someone that, that does. It's a good way to get cosy. Please do. Now, you may, may not be aware, but over the last decade or so, there's been quite a big uh, change happening. It's not that the Wallabies have gone downhill in their uh, kind of ability to play rugby, uh, but it's actually it's been a change that's been happening under our very noses. It's not uh, that aliens have come and kind of somehow infiltrated the world without us knowing or that there's a reptilian tribe that John Key is a part of. I don't know if anyone's heard that conspiracy theory. Someone was telling me it the other day. But it's actually in, in the area of theology now, half of you have probably switched off, but it's actually quite an important, uh, an important thing that's happened. Many theologians have seen that there was an overemphasis on the cross and not much emphasis at all in thinking about the resurrection. And so there's been a shift back to thinking about the resurrection. Now, we need to be careful with any shift. I think this is a good shift, that we don't overemphasise and just forget the cross and just focus on the resurrection, but we need to keep some type of balance there. Now, Vikas is going to be, in a couple of weeks, talking about the cross, so I thought I'd get him first and talk about the resurrection. But we need to understand that without the cross, the resurrection has no meaning. But also, without the resurrection, the cross loses all of its power. We need to hold them in tension and hold them together and understand that they work together as well. Now, I'm going to do uh, something that might be a little bit weird for some of you. I want you to cl everyone close their eyes, and so everyone has to be in it together, Okay. Otherwise, it would be a bit weird. But everyone, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine heaven, what you think heaven is like. Now, as you're looking around heaven, you meet Jesus there. Hey, Jesus, how are you going? But is Jesus that you meet, is he a body, is he physical, or is he a spirit? Think about that. Now, look at your, think about your own body in heaven. Is it? A body, is it physical or is it a spirit? And are there other people around you? Are they physical or are they spirit? You can open your eyes again. 
And I want you to, we're going to kind of explore this idea a little bit. Now, if I ask these two questions, because I think a lot of Christians around the world haven't thought about this very much. And when they have, we've just taken on what the culture has said uh, and haven't thought about it biblically. Today I want to kind of clarify some misconceptions, particularly about the resurrection and the resurrected body, and show how important it is for how us, we need to clarify this for how we live now. Now for some of us this might be a bit confronting, might be a bit controversial, but hopefully it will be challenging and if you have questions after it, if you disagree with what I say, then please come and talk to me about it afterwards because I'd love to chat. But turn to Luke 24. right at the end of Luke's Gospel, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 33 to the end. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened. Two had told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Praise be to you. Sorry, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law and the prophets. Sorry, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Now what do we find here? We find the very real doctrine of the physical resurrection of Jesus. All the disciples are sitting around having a chat, So it's just appeared to a couple of them. And all of a sudden, Jesus is standing right there in their midst. Now imagine that. A friend of yours dies. And you see his body put into the tomb, buried in the ground. You know that he is dead. Then a few days later, you might be uh, having a bit of a get-together, maybe raising a glass in, in remembrance of them. And all of a sudden, they're standing there holding a drink, kind of just laughing along with everybody else. You know, what would you think? What would you say? I haven't been to too many funerals, but I've been to enough to know that the person that that the funeral is for never appears at the wake. (laughs) See, what happens here? Jesus has just died, but then he's standing there in their midst. 
How can this be? And what do the disciples say? Look there in verse 37. What does it say? What do they say? They don't say anything. Nothing. They, they, they can't say anything because they're too scared and startled. I think if this was me, I'd be calling for a new pair of undies. And they think that they're seeing a ghost. That would be scary. It tells us there that they think they're seeing a ghost. Now, when we think of Jesus' resurrection, many people in the past have thought that it was just a spiritual resurrection. That God somehow did away with, with the body and Jesus just raised it in the form of a spirit. And we see there that he could just appear. So obviously his body has changed in some way. And John 20 tells us that he could walk through locked doors. But Jesus' physical body was missing from the tomb. He rose bodily. And we find here in verse 37 is that he asks his disciples to touch his hands and his feet to show them that he is a man and not a ghost. But they still don't believe. Have a look there in verse 41. He asks them for some food. So he gives them some fish. So he's given some fish and he eats it. Now to us scientific and objective people of Palmerston North, it's pretty conclusive evidence that Jesus has a physical body. And verse 39 tells us there that even Jesus says it's one of flesh and bone. One of flesh and bone. Now, for many of us it might not be too new, but for others it might be. But the point is, Jesus had a physical body after his resurrection. And it's, the same, it's in the same form as when he died. It's recognisable. The touching of his hands and his feet are showing that his wounds still appear after his death. He has the same body and it still bears the scars of his life and, more importantly, of his death. The same body, still bearing the same scars. Amazing stuff. See, people at this time hated the idea of a resurrection, of a physical resurrection. Many believed that, that there was an afterlife, there was no real problem there, but no one believed that it was physical. In fact, Greeks hated their bodies so much so much that they call them prisons of the soul or tombs. The body was something to be escaped when you died. You, you escaped your body, your soul left. They hated the idea that the physical body had any value at all. And because they held this view, they made these two really clear distinctions between the body and the soul. And this first kind of came about with Plato, great, great Greek philosopher. He kind of made this distinction between the body and the soul. And it, Platonism kind of went all the way through most of Greek history in this thinking and, and, that's, and their, their philosophy. And it was kind of rife everywhere. And we even find a reference in the New Testament. Have a look at Acts 17. Turn with there. That's with me. The Apostle Paul is in Athens. And what do you do in Athens? You go have a look at the ruins. Except they weren't ruins in those days. They were actual structures. Uh, but he goes to this place called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as it's called. And uh, we don't really have many places like this in New Zealand anymore. It probably would have been, the square may have been like this at one stage where people get up and, and they talk about an idea and people debate with them and you kind of talk about it. I guess it, for us more uh, computer literate people, it's kind of like an internet discussion board, except without it being creepy and um, <laughs> with the stalkers and stuff like that. But have a look there in verse 32. Paul has just been talking about the physical resurrection and kind of how Jesus is coming back. 
Verse 32, this is their response. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. They sneer because it's ridiculous. It's kind of, the term there is kind of one of just absolute disbelief. How could anyone believe that? But that's what Paul is saying. Physical resurrection of Jesus is the basis for everything that he just said, the the whole gospel. But to them, it's kind of like, say you said to me, Ian, here's a new BMW, you can have it for free. I'm like, no, I'm okay with walking. You'd be like, that's absurd. Why would you want to keep walking when I could give you this great car? I don't really like BMWs, I'm not trying to advertise them or anything, but that's the idea that they think, that why would you want to keep walking when you can escape this body, get something totally better? And that's what they think. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and this is the last passage that we'll, we'll flip to and we'll spend some time in here. And Paul is speaking to his Corinthian friends. I'm just going to read a chunk from verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be. But just a a seed, perhaps, of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another, uh, and star differs from star in splendour. So will, will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is, sown, that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as as is the man from heaven, so also those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Now Paul is writing to uh, some Greek thinkers, and they this kind of platonic idea of the separation of the body and soul is kind of rife in their community. Uh, and probably not around this time, but slightly later, uh, we call the, the Gnostics started being developed, with, and they kind of applied Plato's thinking, but gave it a Christian bent. And so they thought that the way you know God was kind of to transcend this body, transcend this earth, and somehow, in a spiritual way, get to know God. And so they were very big on separating the body and the soul as well. 
And so this is kind of a form of Gnosticism that the Corinthians believe. Now they think that the body is good, sorry, that the, the, the body is evil and the soul is good. Have a look there in verse 12. This is kind of the, the beginning to, what he, to his argument. He says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. You see his point? If Jesus hasn't been raised, if there is no resurrection, then there's no faith. Because there is no hope. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then there is no faith. There's no point to believing what we believe. Because there is no hope. I heard John Lennox debating Richard Dawkins. And he said... In his conclusion, it was very powerful, said, Christianity stands and falls on the physical resurrection of Jesus. And it was a very powerful testimony to the fact that we believe in a historical faith that rests upon something physical. No other religion would ever do that. No other religion backs itself on history that that is testable and provable in some way. And so this is Paul's point as well. So he goes on to clarify in verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So we saw back in Luke 24 that Jesus' body was gone from the tomb. He rose with flesh and blood. But Paul is telling us here that Jesus is the first fruit of those who died. His body represents the many bodies that are going to be resurrected after him, that hope in that resurrection. It's kind of like a prototype. And I have some engineers here, and prototypes usually aren't the, the kind of pinnacle of things. They're usually the things that malfunction and go really badly. Uh, but with God, prototypes are usually pretty good. It gets it right the first time. But a prototype is kind of... Engineers, they develop a prototype and usually it's a model for what every, the other kind of products that you're going to make. So uh, a few years ago, Aaron and I went to the snow. We took Boaz along and his grandma made him... It was like a sleeping bag with arms and legs and there's his little face kind of sticking out. But when you, when you make a, um, some clothing, you, you follow a pattern, don't you? So, and you follow the pattern and you make the the kind of the garment that, that follows it. And the, pa- and the garment should always look like the pattern that you've made, unless you're like me and you're not very good at sewing. But that's the idea of what Paul is saying. Jesus' body is a pattern or a prototype, or you could even say a model. So he's adamant about that. If we want to enter God's kingdom, then our bodies will need to be changed, but they need to be changed to be like Jesus' body, like it was the body that we saw in Luke 24. We were made in the line of Adam. He was the first prototype. But now we are to be made like Christ. We will follow what his body is like. And what was that body like? Well, it was changed, like we saw, but it was pretty much the same. He still bore in his hands and his feet the scars that he had at his death. Have a look there at verse 35 again with me. It 
But someone may ask how the dead raised, what kind of body will they come? So Paul goes on to explain in quite a amount of detail of what the body will look like. It's kind of funny that he says, you know, how foolish in verse 36, but then goes on to actually explain it in quite detail. It's kind of saying, you know, don't bother about thinking about it, but here we go, we're going to think about it anyway. It's kind of a bit ironic. But what does he say? Verse 37, this body is like a seed. A seed goes into the ground as something that is dead. It has no life, but it is given life, and it springs up to form an amazing plant. Then he goes on to make four contrasts in verse 42. It is sown perishable, raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour and raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. It is sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. Now some of you may be thinking, look, it says there that it's going to be a spiritual body. How are you going to get around that, Ian? Sit down. You know, you... <laughs> But, and you're right. And I think that last little bit causes some confusion. If you look there down in verse 50, it talks about flesh and blood again. And that, that also causes confusion. But Paul is not saying that the first body is physical and the second body a spirit. That's not, what, that's not his, his words. He says spiritual body. And so he doesn't use the word pneuma to say spirit. He uses the word pneumatikos, which means spiritual, two totally different words. A spiritual body. And what is a spiritual body? It's one that glorifies God in every way. One that glorifies God in every way and is modelled after our Saviour Jesus. He's not saying that your body will be a spirit, but that your body will glorify God in every way, just as Jesus' body did. Physical and spiritual. But what does this all show? And I want to make this point quite clear. I think it shows that the resurrection... Sorry, the resurrection shows that God is committed to his creation. Some people call it the vindication of creation. The resurrection shows that God is committed to his creation. God is not just going to throw creation away at the end. He's not going to just destroy it and be done with it. But also, it shows something else. The pronouncement at the very beginning of creation, in the Garden of Eden, that everything was good, that pronouncement still stands. Yes, evil exists in the world, but we have been convinced that evil has chased all of the goodness out of creation. That our salvation needs to be from creation. That we need to escape it in some way. But that's simply not true. That, that is what the Gnostics believed. And there were many, many uh, theologians kind of branded them as heretics and spoke against them kind of way, way back at the beginning of the church. The resurrection shows that God loves his creation. He still stands behind it. He's still committed to it. And that is most clearly seen in the fact that Jesus took up his body again and that our bodies won't just be destroyed but will continue on to, to eternity. It shows that God values his creation. So if Jesus didn't take up his body, if he was just raised as a spirit, then the implication would be simple. This world is useless. It's going to be destroyed, done away with, don't worry about it. We could do whatever we wanted with it because God wouldn't see any value in it anymore. It's too corrupted. It's like an old tube of toothpaste. You, 
you squeeze all the life out of it until the very end, and then you, uh, you kind of just throw it out, don't you? That's not the case. Jesus continues on in his physical nature, and so will we. But what are the implications of this? If all this shows that God still values his creation, what does it mean for us on earth? Well, there are, I think there are huge implications. I think it's very wide-ranging. Uh, and I just want to talk about, kind of give you a framework to think about in three relationships. So firstly, the upward relationship. Secondly, the horizontal relationship. And thirdly, the downward relationship. It's like I'm doing a, a hand dance, kind of like that. But, so the upward, the horizontal, and the downward. So firstly, the upward relationship. What we do now is important because it, we honour God. What we do now can bring glory to God. That can only happen, though, if you are in relationship with God. If that relationship is restored, then you can honour God and what you do in your body really matters. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 6.19. He says, You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. That means what you do with and to your body counts. Your body is, is used now to glorify God. And it has huge implications for how we think about sexual purity and drunkenness and all these other things. There's huge kind of wide-ranging things. But one thing that I want us to think about is how do we treat our bodies? As we've seen today, if there's continuity from this life into the next, God is not just going to abandon this world but going to kind of continue on then how we treat our bodies now actually does matter. Think back to uh, what, how you imagined heaven. Was it kind of a spiritual place where you escaped this earth and your body? Sorry, a spirit place. Or was it more physical than that? Or maybe you hadn't even thought about those kind of categories. It doesn't really matter. So I think in New Zealand, culture and particularly uh, in Christian culture, we've undervalued our physical bodies in such a way that we think that how we treat them, it doesn't really matter. It's just like everything else. We just can be discarded. Now, one of those implications you might think is that I'm thinking of focusing too much on beauty and you know physical kind of beauty care and stuff like that. I, I think it's the exact opposite. If you imagine heaven as a place where everyone has perfect bodies, well, kind of physically perfect, well then I don't think it's me that would be focusing too much on beauty, it's you. But what is it that kind of the picture of heaven that we get? If Jesus is bearing those scars that he had, then God doesn't care about beauty, but he cares about how you treat that body that you've been given. The Bible tells us that God so loves what he has created, so loves everything that, it, that he has made, that he already believes that it is beautiful. Your body will be transformed, but maybe not in the way that we think. I think it's going to be more glorious than that. But this helps us also to think through, well, if God is going to continue on, maybe possibly in the way that we look, well then how we look now, we need to see that you know, what is our basis for feeling loved? It's not how we look, kind of, in the world standards. 
but knowing that God already values that. He thinks that we are beautiful. So the implication of the upward relationship is that we are not to neglect our bodies. We are to treat them in the way that God designed them. And that means honouring God with our bodies. And that may mean things like, like exercise and you know, eating, eating foods that don't harm our bodies. Treating, God in the, treating our bodies in the way that he designed them. Now I think you might, you might be thinking that's a bit absurd. I mean, I'm going to be stuck in this body for the rest of my life, for the rest of eternity, you know, with my big nose, funny hair, donut belly, thunder thighs, beer gut. You know, that's just absurd, isn't it? And I agree, it is absurd to think that God would value the bodies that we have so much that we're going to take them into eternity. See, our culture makes us hate our bodies. We're given images all the time of what the perfect body is on movies and ads and TV. Our culture just makes us hate what we see in front of the mirror. And I think Christian culture is kind of bought into this by taking on a form of Gnosticism where we, we talk about you know, kind of escaping this world rather than embracing it. People say that God doesn't care about your body. It's just passing away, so it doesn't matter what you do to it now. What we're finding out here, and what Paul wants us to see, is that it does matter. God does care about the physical. He made it and he values it. For many of us, that might mean a change in how we act towards our bodies and our attitude towards them. Now, secondly, the horizontal relationship. The last two points will be a bit quicker. Now, if God is committed to the physical nature of humanity, then that means we need to be so as well. Again, I think it has far-reaching implications. I think it has implications for how we think about embryos and children and those without a voice. It has implications for those at the other end of life who, who can't care for themselves as well. I think we value people at all stages of life. We see them as God sees them. We love them. We see that their bodies may be failing at the end, but we still love them and treat them with respect. We tell them the gospel because we have seen that the resurrection... The hope of that gives new life. And it extends beyond this as well. I think as a community at Christ Sanctuary, we're quite good at, at looking after each other uh, and looking after one another's physical needs. And that's an important biblical principle. And that should extend out as well as we look out upon our city, that we love our city and the people within it. We care for them physically as well because God is committed to them as physical beings. And we... And I think some of us are doing that, and it's great to see, and let's encourage people that are doing it. And lastly, I just want to, want to mention the downward relationship. The relationship that we have with the physical world, kind of the ground underneath us. The physical re- resurrection, as I said, demonstrates that God is committed to the good creation that he created. He's committed to it. He's committed to it so much that it will be redeemed. Redeemed just means it will be changed slightly and transformed but the goodness in it remains that means that what we need to have is the same perspective on creation that God does and that perspective is that the creation is good and that God's mandate to rule the world as his loving rulers continues that means as Christians we need to be concerned with what happens on this planet it's God's good creation that he has given to us as a valued gift Now it's Father's Day today, so hopefully some of you have been giving gifts. And with any gift, you give a part of yourself when you give. There's no 
no, no possible thing as a bad gift, They're, unless it's kind of really useless, but no, because a gift is giving something of yourself. So today I received a, a lovely little painting from Boaz, and for a person that, that's not his dad, that is a kind of a useless thing, but for me it's special because he's giving something of himself to me. See, that's what God does with his creation. He gives of himself. It's a gift from him. And we need to see that the world is not something just to be discarded and thrown away, but treat the gift as it truly is meant to be treated, as, from, as being from God, as being part of who he is as an expression in his, his creating nature. And what are we going to do with it? Are we going to plunder it for its resources? Are we going to look after it in the way that he intended now, I'm not saying that we need to all go out and be environmental activists. I'm not holding, saying that I'm a beacon of light, but we need to start to think about many of us who are part of the Western world. We make up kind of 10% of the, of the Earth's population but use up 90% of its resources. You know, we're not a people who historically have looked after God's creation. We're not a people that have plundered... We are a people, though, that have plundered his creation because it has been made good. And we need to continue to think about how do we best use those resources uh, and both in looking after the earth and looking after others as well. So if we truly value what God values, then we will rethink the things that we buy and the things that we do. Now what I want us to understand, and this is kind of my final little thing, is that the resurrection, the physical resurrection, shows that God is committed to his world that if we have been brought into God's kingdom, that has huge, far-reaching implications for our lives, we need to be committed to what God is committed to. We need to value what he values. God values a relationship. Remember the upward. Seek it out. God values your body. Care for it. God values other people, the horizontal. Look after them. And God values the world downward. Look after it. Let me pray. Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who made this earth good. We thank you that it remains so. Lord, help us to ponder deeply the implications of the resurrection. Help us not to forget the cross, but to see in light of that and in light of the resurrection, how we are to live now. Lord, we pray that we would seek out relationship with you, that we would seek to love you and know you, and that you would reveal yourself to us in that. Lord, I pray that we would be committed to this creation in the same way that you are. Give us a vision of what it looks like for us to live in relationship glorifying you. Give us a vision of what heaven will be like and help that to affect the way that we live and the way that we love you now. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.